This morning, God has a precious message for his church and people. And I am thankful for the opportunity to be the willing servant to share it. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Be honest with you, in all the preparation for a message, the person who prepares it receives a whole lot more because to condense what you go through and study and research and just it's every moment is like another awakening of a new truth and a greater revelation of joy and contemplation of God's glory and his principles of righteousness. And to be shared in a condensed version uh, so that God's people can captivate the principle and the message. That's what, uh, you just get a snapshot. And so I want to share with you before we go into this message of let freedom ring this morning. I want to share with you, you know, we have nothing to fear except that we forget how God has led and taught us in our past. The Bible says that which was written aforetime was written for our learning and admonition. So at this moment, I'd just like to share with you, those of you who would like on more the topic that will be shared today of religious liberty, I'd like to share with you a couple books to go back and take a closer look at. Number one, Baptist Who Shaped a Nation by O.K. Armstrong. Baptist Who Shaped a Nation. If you go back and understand in history, you find that Baptists were actually a minority in the Christian denominations as they came to America and greatly persecuted because of it by the larger church congregations because they had established colonies and established laws. And those civil laws, if you didn't conform to those civil and religious laws, then you were considered a lawbreaker. And imagine you, an atheist, coming from the old world to the new world, to here to America, to one of these colonies, and you don't believe in God, and yet these colonies are established based upon their religious beliefs and they've made them civil laws. In other words, it's either you conform and be a Christian and do as we have told you to do and as the laws have established, or you will be persecuted, exiled, and imprisoned. Does that sound like religious liberty, freedom for all? No. So you'd be surprised that how Baptists were used by God to shape and give us the freedoms that we hold today as our constitutional liberties and rights. Another book, Not of This World, Religious Liberty for All as a Key Christian and American Value by Lemuel Sapien. So I want to share with you in your research, in your historic documentation that you can go back and look at you'd be surprised what you find, which today I'm not able to give even the surface scratch of what will be presented today. Will you join me in prayer before we go into this morning's message? Loving Heavenly Father and merciful Master, we are thankful for the privilege and freedom to worship you according to the liberty of our conscience. And that liberty is given because you, as our Creator, has endowed it. And Lord, where your Spirit is, that is the 
true spirit of God and of Christ to be revealed. Send now thy Holy Spirit to make this principle laid deep into the hearts of our beings and in the recesses of each and every precious soul that shall hear this presentation from your word and from history to realize we need to defend and give back to individuals, all humanity, the rights that God has created us by. Grant us understanding to this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you join me as you turn and open your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That Spirit is God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the representative of God here on earth. This Holy Spirit that God has said the Comforter, who is the Spirit of truth that He will send, He leads us and guides us into all truth. And where the Holy Spirit of truth dwells in humanity, there is a principle that is revealed through that person in relation to others. Where God's Spirit abides in the hearts of humanity, there is freedom and liberty granted to others in their walk and understanding, in their relationship between them and God. And no civil laws should ever be established that would infringe or constrict or control or prevent those liberties between humanity and their Creator, or God. And these principles we find where the Holy Spirit of God dwells, there will be seen that liberty. So let's flip it. If the Holy Spirit is withdrawn, what shall be revealed? Persecution. Intolerance. Control. Dogmaticness. Freedoms and liberties taken away. And you will be a slave under their control. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I want to share an eternal principle. You do not go to the church to find the truth. Well, then where do you go? You go to the Bible to find truth. And when you go to the Bible to find the truth, and when you find the truth, you look for a church that teaches the truth. Does that make sense? The truth, what is it going to do for us? It'll make us free. And ye shall be free indeed. Isn't God's word so liberating? Oh, I feel free already. we just begun. But what enslaves us to that freedom? The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 10-12, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of what? Because we receive not the love of the truth, they, that they might be saved, 
The Bible says, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a what? A lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the what? That they believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Accept the truth, you receive freedom. Reject the truth, you fall into the condemnation and deceive the, as it says, strong delusion, and you end up believing the lie. So let's, Jesus wants to pull the curtain back for us this morning and get a clear picture on what true religious liberty and freedom, according to his kingdom and his character, is all about. And to see through the prophetic vision what that means for us today and in the near future. Freedom of choice, a principle. God has created every human being with the freedom to choose. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says, Let every man be fully persuaded where? In his own mind. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Romans chapter 14, verse 5. We find that God has given us the true freedom to choose. In fact, He says, Deuteronomy chapter 8 begins with like the first 15 verses of all the blessings we would receive in following and trusting God. And the rest of the next 45 verses are all the curses if we disobey or distrust or reject God's counsel. And then he says, I've set before you life and death. Choose you this day who you will serve. This is the principle of the character of love. Love gives liberty. Even if it means rejection. And for parents, you understand that's very painful. Sometimes more than others. I asked my mom to forgive me already. Many times for the pain and sorrow I put her through. Because of choosing the wrong path and wrong Poor choices. But the Bible says, and this is the point where every man has the freedom to choose. Whatever a man sows, there is a law to that principle of sowing, you shall finally reap. So the freedom is whatever choices you make, the consequences of those choices you will receive. Sooner or later, those consequences will be experienced. Unless you repent and turn away and draw near to God. He is the only way, the truth, and the life to set us free. That does not mean that all those consequences may go away, but it does mean that the character and the life can be changed and transformed. And so, the freedom of choice. Education, page 17, says, Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the Creator. Individuality. Power to think and to do. The men in whom this power is developed are the men who bear responsibilities, who are leaders in enterprise, and who influence character. 
It is the work of true education to develop this power to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. I remember school. The teacher put on the whiteboard, chalkboard, the lesson of the class. He'd tell us to go back and read the book. And then he would go and give an exam later on in the week on what he shared and what we read. And nine out of ten times, the answers were just repeating what we had seen. True education leads a man to think for himself, to discern from cause to effect, and to understand the truth of the matter to come to the their own conclusions based upon the weight of evidence revealed. This is a principle that even the Thessalonians, right? They would hear what was being preached in the pulpit or what was being shared at church and they were more noble because they went back to search in the research to see if what they heard was actually true so that they could come to their own factual conclusions and beliefs on the evidence that was presented. God's word gives us clear understanding. Truth can stand investigation. Truth can can hold up to the scrutiny of research and investigation to the minute detail, and it will remain truth that you cannot refute and you cannot disregard. And if you refuse the truth, then you are under the strong delusion that you end up believing the lie. God is wanting us to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. You know the greatest fear of those in power, whether it be religious power in a church or an organization or a company or a government, is that you would research and look and find out for yourself. But the only time that that becomes a fearful thing is if you are not operating upon principles of transparency, truth, and righteousness. Because if you function and operate on principles of truth, transparency, and righteousness, there's nothing to hide. Does that make sense? So we come to understand that the fearful factor is when we come to search out and find out, you know what? Like this week, there's a lot of things that just ain't so. And so we come to understand, instead of confining their study to that which men have said or written, let students be directed to the sources of truth, to the vast fields open for research in nature and revelation. Let them contemplate the great facts of duty and destiny, and the mind will expand and strengthen. Instead of educated weaklings, institutions of learning may send forth men strong to think and to act, men who are masters and not slaves of circumstances, men who possess breadth of mind, clearness of thought, and the courage of their convictions. Where are these men and women today? I love it. You all said, right here. Here we sit. 
Here we stand under the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. And by His grace and by the authority of His Word, though the heavens fall, not one jot nor one tittle of God's character shall ever change. His Word is eternal. Purer than silver tried seven times, it shall never fall. So we find in the Word of God, in the book of Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It reveals the true motives of why we do what we do, and that is uncomfortable. Jesus said, I have not come to send peace, but a sword. That sword is His Word. And as His Word is received, if you accept it and surrender to it, it becomes your peace. But if you come to fight against it and reject the sword of God's Word, you will constantly be at war with God, with His Word, and with those who follow Him. And this is the summary of the great controversy from beginning to end. It's over the authority of God and His Word. And so, coming back in the history at this time, Thanksgiving in November, we come to recount and reflect upon, as a Christian nation that we were founded upon, as the principles that we were established by, and the religious liberties that were granted we reflect upon those first reasons why they came from the old world of Europe to the new world of this land here in the United States. They came, and John, their pastor Robinson could not come, but in his farewell discourse to those pilgrims, those Puritans, He shared with them there was more light to be shared for God has not revealed entirely the light to us at this point as we have been coming out of the darkness. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word shows us where we're standing right now with Him and it shows us the path that we are to follow to walk in His ways of truth and righteousness. The light of God's word was illuminating. But as the path of the just, Proverbs 4.18 says, is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. As they were in that dark ages of the 1260 year prophetic time period of the papal persecution upon the old world of Europe, who hindered God's people and the people in general, to have the Word of God freely in their hand, in their own language, and to read and to believe and worship according to their liberty and their conscience. They persecuted people left and right for 1260 years. And this was the persecution that took place because they rejected God's Holy Spirit, they rejected God's Word, and they rejected God Himself to put themselves in the place of God. That is the mystery of iniquity. And Satan fulfilled that through that hellish power, the great masterpiece of deception, the Roman Catholic Church, 
the papacy. And they trampled upon the conscience and liberties and freedoms of humanity for 1260 years until prophecy was fulfilled and a deadly wound was inflicted and that little man, Napoleon, from France sent his General Berthier to go and capture the Pope in 1798. The finishing of that 1260-year time period of prophetic time of papal persecution. And during the later part of that in the 17th century, this is when this group of Puritans, escaping England because it had become uninhabitable for the freedom of religious liberty, they were seeking a new land that they could worship God according to their conscience, freely without persecution. And they landed, can you imagine landing here in November? Winter hitting. Your supplies on your ship, most of them were thrown out or destroyed. And here you are just wondering, thankful that you're still alive because several of them passed and died on their way there. And the fact that they were even there and wondering, God, thank you for bringing us to this land. Deliver us from death. Preserve our lives. And it was the native American Indians that allowed them, by the grace of God, a people who did not know the Creator in the way that they had known from His Holy Word. But they respected for what they did, the life, and they befriended these people and they served them. And the love of God was moved upon these people who did not have the full light of the knowledge of God, but they helped these pilgrims, these Puritans in their time of need. And as a result, they were saved and preserved. And as their lives were preserved and they were able to finally come through that winter and start planting and building and establishing what God would lead to what later would be this wonderful nation. They respected more so the liberty and rights of others because of the sufferings they went through and the kindness that the Indians shared. But the next group of there in, that was Plymouth. But then you had another ship of Puritans that came later and they landed in Massachusetts Bay. And these Puritans were not of the same character. That spirit of intolerance of what others believe and do was strong. They didn't like being under the papal supremacy and being persecuted themselves. But that spirit they brought on and established in their own colony in, in civil laws. And so we take a look. Signs of the Times, June 3, 1888 says, When Wesley began his career in England, there were only a few who rallied around his standard. When the Puritans immigrated from England to America, they were like shipwrecked mariners who had barely escaped with their lives. Left without friends or influence, all they had was their precious faith, their strong will, and their earnest devotion to God. They were as sheep without a shepherd. The believers were few, like the mustard seed, which is the least of all the seeds, so seemed the pilgrims. But their influence became powerful and far-reaching. The faith of the Puritans was as coal 
from the altar of God, an inextinguishable light that gloried the land and its radiance. They were guided by who? The providence of who? Of God. I'll just make a note here. Many of our forefathers of this country, especially George Washington in his letters, you would see he would not, he would refer to God as the providence of the omnipotent or the providence of God. Many of the things that, that were led, that led this nation to become and win victories that they, humanly speaking, should not have won in divine intervention, he would say the providence of God, the providence of God's intervention, in other words. He had a purpose and a plan. Do you hear what God wants to do to you and for you? He wants to intercede and He's been interceding. His providence has led you thus far that you may have a closer walk with your Creator and find that sweet liberty and peace and freedom in your own personal life and walk with Him. As he has done and desired through the providence of God to this land, so he desires to do in your life personally. Great Controversy 252 says, Many were driven across the ocean to America, and here laid the foundations of civil and religious liberty, which have been the bulwark and glory of this country. What is the bulwark and glory of this country? Religious and civil liberty. And so we find Advent Review and Herald. This is taken in 1893. It says, God does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. With tearful utterance, the husbandman says, What more could I do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? The unrivaled mercies and blessings of God have been showered upon our nation. It has been a land of liberty and the glory of the what? The whole earth. What has been the glory of the whole earth? It has been America. And as much as there is a spirit to deny these principles of truth and facts, it still stands as truth. And it cannot be obliterated. Review and Herald, December 18, 1888, says, A time is coming when the law of God is, in a special sense, to be made void in where? In our land. The rulers of our nation will, by legislation enactments, enforce the Sunday law. And God's people be brought into great peril. When our nation, in its legislative council, shall enact laws to bind the conscience of men in regard to their religious privileges, enforcing Sunday observance and bringing oppressive power to bear against those who keep the seventh-day Sabbath, the law of God will, to all intents and purposes, be made void in our land. National apostasy will be followed by national ruin. Brothers and sisters, to understand this in prophetic vision that this will come to pass because God has said it is one thing. But to live through it is another. Can you imagine that many of the apostles and prophets and patriarchs long to live in these days which we are living? 
I'm like, are they just gluttons for punishment and suffering and pain? No, because they wanted to see the conclusion and climax of this great controversy of our blessed hope, the second coming of Jesus Christ, when all of this chaos and nonsense shall be finally put away. And the wickedness of the wicked shall fall upon them. And God shall reward His righteous. In God's Word, can we find in history, can we find in the Word of God a land in which the papacy is attempting to conquer through its form of false worship? I want to share with you some lessons through history. A book entitled Rome Stoops to Conquer by Boyd Barrett, author of The Jesuit Enigma. Inside cover, it begins, the present great campaign, which the Pope is directing in person, the campaign to what? Win who? He wants to win America. Why does he want to win America? Because we left the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church in Europe to come to this new world to say, we don't want that religious intolerance and we don't want your persecution. We want freedom as God has given us and our nation was established upon those principles to give freedom for all. That's why Satan, through the papacy, has sought his eyes to conquer America because it stands as that thorn in the flesh of his, as a beacon of light for God of the principles of righteousness. And it says, is the church's supreme and final effort to regain her ancient preeminence in the world? Ancient preeminence means that they dominated and controlled the conscience of all. The whole world. For him, at this time, it was written, Pope Pius the Eleventh, our country is a battlefield on which is being waged the greatest struggle of the church's history. The conquest of America is the subject, is the supreme object at which he aims. Pius is well aware that the Catholic Church can never hope to dominate the civilized world until America kneels, beaten and penitent, where? At her feet. Does that fit the picture? You have at least three presidents of the United States. Does the church intend, should the powers be hers, to change and modify the Constitution? Does she mean to discard the American principle of the separation of church and state? In fine, does she aim at being the established church of the United States? one cannot doubt in view of the present Pope's teaching. Which indeed is simply the reiteration of age-old Catholic doctrine that the answers should be in the all, excuse me, the answers should all be in the previous questions in the affirmative. Yes, she is 
looking to conquer America. Yes, she is looking to destroy the religious principle of separation of church and state. Yes, she is looking to establish herself in the, Amer- uh, in the United States as the church that once again controls this nation. And in essence, in the end, controls the whole world as she once did in ages past. The First Amendment to the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I'll later show the rest of that point. I just want to focus on this for just a moment. The First Amendment, no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 17, see, there were some people, religious leaders, that came to Jesus and they said, "Um, what about taxes? And Jesus responded and said unto them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Let's define something according to God's word. Who created humanity? God. Who created this world? Who sustains your life? Who gives you His grace day by day? Who loves you? What has Caesar or the government given you? All right. So if taxes is theirs, then return the taxes, which is theirs. But your life, all that you own, all that you have, all your talents, gifts, and resources belong to your Creator. And the first angel's message of Revelation 14 calls us to come back and worship Him that made the heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. It is a call for all humanity to come back and worship our Creator. To give Him what is due Him. That is everything that we own. Not just the 10% tithe. Not just the double tithe of a second offering. But all that you have to be consecrated on the altar of God. Because all that you have and the strength you have to do it comes from God as well. Therefore you learn to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might. And when you connect to the source of love, you learn to love your neighbor as yourself. In Revelation 13, verse 11, as in 1798, the papacy was, their civil power was taken away, but they continued as a religious power. That was the deadly wound. So as a church, they continued, but as a civil political power, they were no longer established and reigning. It was taken away. So in Revelation 1 through 10 talks about that first beast power, the papacy. And as they were coming down, what nation was rising up into power? America. Notice the first beast in 13.1 was from the sea. This one comes from the earth. The sea represents a populated multitude people. This earth 
signifies a desolate or very nil-populated land. And it says he had two horns like a what? Lamb, innocent, gentle. But notice two horns, separate. Two principal powers. Those powers of that nation, because in the Bible, a beast represents a kingdom, a nation. Daniel 7, verse 23. So when you come to understand prophetic history, you understand that this nation of the United States rising up into power had two principles, two powers of which it was established by. And that was they did not want to be controlled by a king or a monarchy or some religious power, a head or a king. They wanted where the people had a voice. And so it became a republic, a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And the principle of religious liberty, of Protestantism. And there were two principles. Republicanism, the people actually had the voice to lead and guide, to tell and instruct their representatives what they wanted so their representatives represented them as a people, as a nation. Not to where the representatives did whatever they want and told everybody else this is the way it's going to be and you have to submit to it. And the other side was Protestantism but in its purity where there was freedom of religious conviction. George Washington Every man conducting himself as a good citizen and being accountable to God alone for his religious opinions ought to be protected in worshiping the deity according to the dictates of his own conscience. Question, lamb-like or dragon-like? Does that, those, that what he expressed represent Jesus, the Lamb of God, or Satan, the dragon to control and dominate? Represented the lamb. Who's this? Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson said, Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that legislative powers of government reach only action only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declare <clears throat> that their legislative legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Lamb or dragon? Lamb. Who's this? Benjamin Franklin. <clears throat> When religion is good, it will take care of itself. When it is not able to take care of itself and God does not see fit to take care of it so that it has to appeal to the civil power for support, it's evidence in my mind that the cause is a bad one. Lamb or dragon? Lamb. Who's this? 
James Madison. You need to go back to your history books. We find that the civil government, though bereft of everything like an associated hierarchy, possesses the requisite stability and performs its functions with complete success while the number, the industry, the morality of the priesthood and devotion of the people have been manifestly increased by the total separation of church from state. Notice, even the morality of the priesthood was benefited (laughs) by separation of church and state, he brings out. But you have a contrast here. Pope Pius IX, what does he say? The absurd and erroneous doctrines or ravenings of defense in defense of liberty of conscience are a most pestilential air, a pest of all others most to be dreaded in a state. Madison, lamb or dragon? Lamb. Who is this? Ulysses Grant. Leave the matter of religious teaching to the family altar, the church, and the private school supported entirely by private contributions. Keep the church and state forever separate. Ulysses Grant, lamb or dragon? Lamb. So we find that this beast, United States, lamb-like horns, republicanism and Protestantism, shall later speak as a dragon. How does a nation speak? Very good. A nation speaks through the legislation or through the action of its legislative and judicial authorities. And so, what are the characteristics of a dragon-like beast speaking? We find in history in Revelation 13.2, speaking of the papacy, Rome, the dragon, papal Rome, excuse me, pagan Rome, in 538 A.D., pagan Rome gave the dragon, or the dragon gave the papacy, his power, his seat, and great authority. He gave him the capital in Rome. He gave him power, and he gave him great authority. So it is a dominating, controlling, civil, political power that is said in a dragon-like. When that power was given to the papacy by pagan Rome, what took place shortly thereafter? Persecution. Whenever in history you see church and state unite, persecution follows. It is a principle and a law. When you go back to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, we understand, looking back in prophetic history, it was foretelling also, not just literal what happened, but what was soon to come. And King Nebuchadnezzar, of Babylon made a law, a religious law, that all were to bow down to the image and worship it. And if you didn't, you were sentenced to death immediately in the burning, fiery furnace. And Matt, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Hebrews, 
By the way, those were their Babylonian names. Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah. It's good to remember because, you know, names mean character. God-given names. And Satan wants to change our character, our name. And God has promised that those who surrender their lives to Him and overcome by the blood of the Lamb, He has promised to give us a new name written on a white stone in heaven. I'm excited. Because He says He makes everything new. So looking back to the capital here in the U.S., the prophetic word in Great Controversy says in 581, God's word has given warning of the impending danger. Let this be unheeded, and the Protestant world will learn what the purposes of Rome really are. Only when it is too late to escape the snare. She is silently growing into power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls, in the churches, and in the hearts of men. Do we see this being played out today? Yes, we do. And so taking a look back to the the Constitution that God has given us. It says in the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. But the concluding points of that says, or prohibiting the free, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of what? Are we seeing the freedom of speech being mocked, being censored, being controlled? And we understand the papacy is marching to control and to conquer America. And this is the prophetic vision that we have been given. And this is what is being fulfilled. Brethren, God has told us what would come to pass, that when it comes to pass, we would believe that He is God. That we would understand He can be trusted and His word is more sure. We have a more sure word of prophecy, the Bible says. That we would take heed unto it in a light in a dark place. The darkness is coming and we must draw near to the light of God's word and to His righteousness. And it goes on, or the press. Do we see the press being bought out? I may be a little slow, but I was just informed. China now owns Fox News. Oh, and Disney as well. Truth is truth. I'm just sharing truth. It can stand investigation. Or the right of the people peaceably to assemble. Are they trying to take away our freedoms to peacefully assemble and worship God according to our conscience? Yes, they are. And to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Why is it that there's so many redresses of grievances that have been presented and they seem like they're not being heard? Prophecy has been foretold. And even the judges have been paid off. 
Even the judges have been groomed and prepared to take their position as in different states and even in the Supreme Court. Washington Post, April 12, 2000. And you'll find that these dates are mostly of 2000, but, but don't worry. It's only 20 years ago. But many of us aren't even aware what happened 20 years ago and what that means for us today now. We find that the Republican Party officials decided to honor Coughlin, a conservative Catholic priest from Chicago with a mass and reception at St. Peter's Church on Capitol Hill last night. We find that Republican Party, which launched a Catholic task force last September, has intensified its outreach to who? To Catholics. We're communicating the way we've been voting for the past five years, Paulette said, since we took the majority in 1995. Brethren, you guys are all worked up about politics right now, right? I hope you're not. But I know to say that it hasn't crossed your screen or your eyes would be a bold-faced lie. And so it is affecting all of America right now. And what does God say? He says, we've had a 100% Catholic voting record and Democrats have been on the wrong side of the issue. It's become more and more obvious they are admitting they made a mistake. And they're overreaching doing Catholic resolutions and Catholic masses and Catholic legislation almost on a daily basis. This was 2000. Hello, church. It's time to wake up for our redemption draweth nigh. Get ready, get ready. It's a very appropriate traditional Catholic thing to do, said Melody, who served as ambassador to the Vatican. We find that the House votes 416 to 1 for Vatican voice in the United Nations. The House yesterday overwhelmingly came out against efforts by international family planning groups to reduce Vatican influence at the United Nations. Supporters of the measure said Congress will not stand idly by while the hundreds of organizations assail the Vatican. I wonder who that one vote was against it. I have an idea, but I hold my opinion to myself. If anything, said Representative uh, Christopher Smith, New Jersey Republican and sponsor of the resolution, the Holy See deserves a more prominent role at the United Nations. Is Rome stooping to conquer? Not just the United States, but the whole world. Are we talking lamb or dragon now? We're here in the dragon. What about in the Supreme Court? The absurd and erroneous doctrines or ravenings in defense of liberty of conscience are a most pestilential error, a pest of all others, most to be dreaded in a state. Now, I read this before. This is Pope Pius IX. But look. The Supreme Court Justice, Chief Justice William Rehnquist, 
the wall of separation between church and state is a metaphor based on bad history. A metaphor which has proved useless as a guide to judging. It should be frankly and explicitly abandoned. As the second century of the Bill of Rights draws to a close, the Supreme Court is redefining what religious liberty will mean in the third century. Are they doing that? Broadly, the court's new approach helps conventional religions while hurting unconventional religions or ones. Conventional would be them, the Roman Catholic Church, and those that would sympathize with her doctrines and ways. The unconventional ones would be you and I who do not hold to their principles and doctrines because it is unscriptural and unsounded according to the Word of God. And so they are making and preparing, Satan is preparing an attack upon God's remnant people who keep God's commandments and hold the faith of Jesus Christ. This is the great controversy that is being played out right now, that is coming to a climax soon. The commandments are a symbol that government authority comes from God, and that's appropriate. It is a profoundly religious message, but it's shared by the vast majority of the people. It seems to me the minority has to be tolerant of the majority's view. This is where you say mob rules or mass rules. This is why they have started using democracy and not republic any longer. Because it's the majority that say this is the way it's supposed to be, and the people don't have a say. And I think this election has clearly shared that point. All we are seeing is prophecy being fulfilled. This was a few years ago. Two Jewish court justices in the Supreme Court, two Protestants, and five Catholics. Earlier this year, there was six... Yeah, Clarence Thomas, just for clarification. There were six Catholics and three Jewish. Today, one of those have passed away. And there is seven Catholics and two Jewish Supreme Court justices. Is Rome stooping to conquer? Are they ready to speak as a dragon? Have you already been hearing the hellish breath of the dragon's voice? Woodrow, President Woodrow Wilson said, A nation that does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today nor what it is trying to do. That's why they have rewritten the history books for the children and youth today, leaving out the majority of the portions of the founding principles of our nation and what the sacrifice really was and the things thereof that built this country because they want it to be more modern and more relative to them today. We are damned if we fail to learn and understand the history of the past because we are preparing ourselves to repeat it in the present and near future. Amen. And that's what they want. Yeah. 
Government is never more dangerous than when our desire to have it help us blinds us to its great power to harm us. You want more governmental help? You're asking for more problems, more control, and less liberty and freedom of your own person and of that of others. Ronald Reagan. Even Time Magazine and Time Past, Reagan and the Pope conspired to assist Poland's solidarity movement and hasten the demise of communism. Even this was prophesied in Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. I tell everyone I'm the closest Baptist you'll ever get to a Jesuit. This is Bill Clinton. Do you see it doesn't matter what what side of the aisle, Democrat or Republic, we're talking about the same power that's ruling on both sides of the aisle? John F. Kennedy wrote a speech, 1960. says, I believe in America where the separation of church and state is absolute where no Catholic prelate would tell the president, should he be Catholic, as he was, how to act and no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote. Wow. That's a rebuke for many Protestants these days. Where no church or church school is granted any public funds or political preference. Well, there's a whole lot of funds that went into a lot of religious institutions in this last payout of the bailout. And this is nothing new either. And where no man is denied public office merely because his religion differs from the president who might appoint him or the people who might elect him. I believe in an America that is officially neither Catholic, Protestant, nor Jewish where no public official either requests or accepts instructions on public policy from the Pope, the National Council of Churches, or any other ecclesiastical source, where no religious body seeks to impose its will directly or indirectly upon the general populace or the public acts of its officials, and where religious liberty is so indivisible that any act against one church is treated as an act against all. This was, in 1960, John Kennedy went from Washington down to Texas to assure Protestant preachers that he would not obey the Pope. And he was a Catholic president. We know shortly thereafter he was assassinated. In 2001, George Bush came from Texas up to Washington. And notice, Kennedy went from Washington down to Texas to assure a group of Catholics bishops that he would obey the Pope. President Bush left smiles with Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, uh, McCarrick and Supreme Court Justice, Chief Justice John Roberts as they leave St. Matthew's Cathedral after attending the 52nd annual Red Mass on Sunday. All the names which in Scripture apply to Christ 
by virtue of which it is established that he is over the church, all the same names are applied to the Pope. This is what the Catholic Church believes. This is on authority of their councils, Bellarmine. So to those with power, the Pope carries a message of justice and human rights, and that has caused dictators to fear and to fall. He is not the power of armies or technology or even wealth. It is the unexpected power of a baby in a stable, of a man on a cross, of a simple fisherman who carried a message of hope to who? Now this is them speaking, to Rome. And we in our country must not ignore the words the Pope addresses to us on his fourth pilgrimages, four pilgrimages to America. He has spoken with wisdom and feeling about our strengths and our flaws, our successes and our needs. We are also thankful for the messenger, for his personal warmth and prophetic strength, for his spiritual and intellectual gifts. And I thank all of you for building the center of conscience. Center of what? Did you catch that? This center of conscience and reflection in our nation's capital. What was this all about? This was George W. Bush' speech on behalf of Pope John Paul II at inauguration and dedication of the Cultural Center dedication speech. We have come to view this as our little Vatican in the United States, Pope John Paul II said. What was he referring to? This building right here. The soaring limestone and glass museum located on 12 acres across from Catholic University is dedicated to spreading church teachings. He said, when I came, when the phone call came from Austin, I was surprised just two days after his election was assured President-elect Bush wanted a meeting with religious leaders to discuss faith-based initiatives in solving poverty. Bush asked theological questions such as, what is justice? But hold on. We told him that in forging new partnerships to reduce poverty, notice what the agenda for good things is, to reduce poverty, the religious community will not only be service providers, you know, helping like ADRA, in, you know, emergency needs, but prophetic interrogators. Finding out information of who's who. This reminds me of the SS in Nazi Germany. Trying to find out the, the information, you know, Like, let's get a registration of everybody that is attending church these days. Be careful of your prophetic interrogations. Liberty comes at a cost. And our forefathers knew what that cost was. But we have failed to understand in our time 
that there is a cost for liberty. Is our nation beginning to speak as a dragon? Yes, it is. And so we find in verse 12 of Revelation 13, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. The United States is going to do the same thing that Rome did in time past in ancient world because Rome is controlling us and dominating us because that's been her objective here in America. And now she is going to cause the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the papacy, the first beast, the Roman Catholic Church, and its head figure to follow what the Pope tells us to do, whose deadly wound was healed. And that deadly wound was healed in 1929 when the Lateran Treaty between Mussolini of Italy, Churchill of England, and Roosevelt of the United States, Franklin, signed a treaty giving 50 acres to the Vatican and establishing them as not just a religious power, but once again a world-recognized political power. They hold their own passport, their own currency. They are their own nation. And they are a religious church. Church and state, whenever it is united, what follows? Persecution. This is the prophetic truth of what is taking place because it has taken place in time past. And it will get worse and worse to the great climax that God's word has said it would do. And so, what does the Roman Catholic Church claim as the sign of its authority? Of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act. And the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical authority or power and authority in religious matters. So what is the Catholic Church's mark of authority? A doctrinal catechism. Page 174 says, Question, have you any other way proving that the church has the power to institute festivals or precepts? Answer, had she not had such power, she could not have done that which modern religionists agree with her. What is it? She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. They themselves know the Bible does not sustain the change of worship from Sabbath, the seventh day, to the first day on Sunday. Jesus rested in the grave according to his commandment on that seven-day Sabbath and resurrected that early morning on the first day of the week. The central issue regarding the mark of the beast is worship. And he will cause the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the beast in his image. Church and state will unite to enforce religious practices. This nation will speak like a dragon and no one will receive the mark of the beast until religious legislation is passed enforcing the counterfeit Sabbath, which is Sunday. And in conclusion, brethren, Revelation chapter 18, beginning with verse 1, says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, 
having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. That great power is the outpouring of God's Spirit upon those that have been receiving the truth and walking in the truth as Jesus is in the truth. Following Him by faith, discerning His voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And a stranger they will not follow. Do you hear the voice of God from His Word and through history speaking to you what is truth? And the answer is, the question is rather, Will you follow the truth? Will you follow Jesus? Will you deny yourself to surrender and even unto death give your life to Christ? Because those who do unreservedly will receive this power of the Holy Spirit without measure, without limit, and God's character will shine forth from their lives. And as they go, they will have a message saying with a cry with a mighty voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitations of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of this earth, you can throw presidents in there too, and congress officials, which have committed fornication with the papacy, illicit relationship, civil powers having illicit relationships, fornication with political, political powers having fornication, illicit relations to unite religious dogmas and principles. This is the fornication that should not happen spiritually. Religion separate, political powers separate, They are two separate powers. Why? Because our religious liberties are between mankind and God. And the first four of the Ten Commandments are speaking to us in our relation between us and God. No man has any reason to establish a law dictating to our conscience how or what or when or why or how we should worship God. But the last six deal with our relationship with our fellow man. And that's where the civil power does have a right to establish liberties and rules and laws for the benefit and happiness and courtesy and respect for one another. But the problem is when the church loses its influence, its moral power, why does the church lose its moral authority and power? Because we stop living according to God's Word. And we start becoming like the world itself in the way we think, the way we eat, the way we dress, the way we speak, the way we act, the way we educate, the way we help and treat people who are sick. Everything we end up compromising, conforming, not to the example of Jesus and His Word, but to the world and to the ways of the papacy. For the Bible says, all the world wondered after the beast. And this is where the, demar- the line is being drawn. And God has a message for us today. Choose you this day who you will serve. You cannot be on both sides of the fence any longer. The messages for these last days is calling a people to make a decision. The truth has been presented. Now you have to make your choice. 
And this is where it gets real uncomfortable. Because it's nice when we're presenting all the history and details and the aspects of others, but when that means applied to your heart, what hinders you to follow God all the way? God is calling us out of Babylon, out of this confusion, out of the false system of worship, out of the false educational system and wrong ideas, out of the wrong system of how we deal and treat with people in their sicknesses. Christ dealt with the whole person, physically, mentally, and spiritually. He said, wilt thou be made whole? Our system is so broken in this world because it has rejected God. You think it's going to be any more convenient for you to follow Jesus all the way in His principles of truth and righteousness? It is not going to get any easier, brethren. It is time for us to understand if you really want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to break away from the way the mold of the world has been told you this is the way you should live and this is what you should do. Come out of her, my people. God calls you his people, his children. You're his sons and daughters. But it is your choice whether you will choose to accept that invitation. But you cannot continue to play games with God. It is time to stand for righteousness. It is time to stand for principle, for truth. To not be afraid what everyone else says you should and shouldn't do, but to be fearful of Him who can destroy both body and soul. Come back to the Word of God to let that be your counselor, that be your wisdom, that be your understanding. God is calling a people today to stand for Jesus. Because if you don't stand, you will end up falling for whatever deception and lie the devil has laid before you. And many of us have been involved in these deceptions. And God says, come out, my people, right now. There's a decision that you need to make. And I don't know what's been going on in your life and in your heart. But God, even if there's one, I am making an appeal today for that one that wants to be serious and true and say, Lord, I have been playing games. I have not been right with you. I've been playing with the world. I've been compromising in my ways. And I need to make a decided decision to follow you all the way. If that's your decision and that's your cry that God is calling to your heart, come up here and we can pray for you. Come out of her, my people. God calls you his people. What are the things that you know you've been, you should be living up to, that you know you should be practicing, but you've been delaying, you've been putting it off, you've been saying, well, maybe next week, maybe next year, waiting for a better time frame that you can make the decision and make the clean break. You've been fearful for living to preserve your life, and you realize that's been the whole hindrance. That's why you haven't found peace. And God is calling upon your heart because you today can say, yes, Lord. I am guilty, but I want that new creation power to make me anew in Christ. If that's your desire, come. See, I don't know what's been going on in your hearts and lives, but God does, and that's why He's been speaking to you through that still, small voice. Isn't He so patient?
so compassionate and loving and kind. Come out of her, my people. Some of you have not been giving religious liberty and freedom to others. You control other people's lives. You control to dominate their conscience. You want to surrender that controlling spirit in your life. If that's you, come. God has a plan to set you free. So that He can be in charge and in control. If you've been judging others and trying to be the conscience for others, you know, the Holy Spirit, to let others what they should and shouldn't do, what they can and can't do, you need to say, hands off. If that's you, come. Because God is calling you to surrender that control, to let Him be God in your life as well as others. You know, that was a hard point for me to learn. I love my family. But my hardest struggle was to let God deal with them. I wanted to be a helping hand, and man, with that zealous sword of the God's word, I was trying to share with them the truth, and I, like Peter, cut off my family's ears, and they didn't want to hear me anymore. And I realized I needed to serve them, to love them, as Christ serves us. And he put their ears back on. Isn't he so good? He'll do the same for you in your life. See, God is calling us to make a decision, brethren. And I'm thankful for you because you are truly being able to be set free in the love of power of Jesus Christ. Come. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father and merciful Master, it is always a privilege to call you our Father. To recognize as children we've been wayward. We've done our own will, our own way. But Lord, you've called us today. You've called us by our names. You know who we are. You have a plan and a purpose. Your love to redeem and restore is not, too, it's not limited. There is no, nothing impossible for you, Lord. And we thank you for you taking our brokenness, our, our wrecked lives, our mistakes and our messes that we've made in this life, that you'd be willing by the blood of Jesus to cleanse and to blot out our transgressions as a thick cloud. And that you would create in us that new purpose, the new motives, the new desires, the new mind, and a new spirit to follow you and do that which is right in thy sight. Lord, help us to keep our eyes stayed on you. That you may keep us in that perfect peace. Help us to turn away from the vices that we've gone to, from the addictions that we've drawn to. Help us to turn away from the entertainment and even the confusing chaos of politics. The social media longing for attention and and, and interest. Lord, may we find Christ as our all in all today to fill the void to drink of your draft today, to feel that we don't thirst again. Take us, O Lord. Transform us. Renew us. Sanctify our hearts. Purify our lives. And restore our homes and our families into your image and to the example that you desire to do for us. We give you permission to have your way, that you're in charge, you're in control. And Lord, may you love our family members 
and friends, and even our frenemies and enemies more than we will ever. Do whatever it takes to save them for your everlasting kingdom. Thank you for doing this, Lord, for making us whole. For we ask this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.